You can have a seat. Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for your word and thankful that it speaks to us throughout our lives and certainly when we gather together. And we pray that as we open your word today, that it will speak to us once again, that we'll be challenged and that it will help us to grow in our relationship with you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we bring to a close a series that I've called In Spite Of, and we've been thinking really about God's love and how God loves us in spite of some things that we may not love about ourselves, some things that we certainly don't like about ourselves, and we've covered a lot of ground, but the whole point has really been God loves you. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's at the heart of everything the Bible has to say, that that Jesus came because God loves you. And we've talked about the fact that God loves us in spite of the things that are in our past, in spite of the fact that bad things happen in life and it might seem that maybe I've done something wrong to offend God. Even in those moments, God loves you. God loves you in spite of your sin, we talked about last week. And today, I want us to talk about one more specific thing in this series before we move on to something else for the things that God loves us in spite of. And today, I want us to think about the fact that God loves us in spite of our fear. Because there are times when we think, man, if I had strong enough faith, I wouldn't experience the fear that I have. So something must be wrong with my faith. How could God love me under those circumstances? I want us to get at that. Because fear, fear is a powerful motivator, right? I mean, I believe God created this fear instinct with us to, uh, to keep us from danger because as soon as danger, we sense that danger, we are struck with fear. And then the question is, what do we do with that? Because fear triggers that fight or flight instinct in our lives, right? We're either going to fight it out and deal with the danger that's in front of us, or we're going to run away and find safety. A few months ago, I sort of experienced that fight or flight. One morning I got up, as I normally do, about six o'clock, went downstairs to get coffee. And the strange thing was, is our, our cat always greets me at the foot of the steps, and he wasn't there. I mean, he's usually ready for breakfast about that time. There was no sign of him. So I got my coffee and went in the living room to, to sit down and read and drink my coffee. And there was the cat in the dining room staring into a corner where we have a, a cabinet. And he was completely focused on that corner. And I knew what my problem was right then. Because once in a while... A little mouse will find its way into our basement through some little crack, and of course the, the cat likes to bring those and show us what he's done. So he was focused in on this mouse. I looked under there, there he is, the little mouse, and I'm thinking, I am not dealing with this in my pajamas, okay? So I drank my coffee, took my shower, got dressed, came back down, I had a plan. I was gonna take this towel, throw it over the mouse, get it, take it out, be done with all that problem, but I miscalculated one thing. I should have put the cat up before I decided to catch the mouse, and I didn't do that. And so I went to move this cabinet out of the way, and the cat was much faster than I was. So literally, I had a cat and mouse game going across our living room and dining room. At one point, the mouse went over my head. I'm not exactly sure how that happened. But somewhere along the way, that whole fight or flight instinct had triggered in that mouse, and he was not gonna fight the cat, so he was fleeing. And at one point he decided that the best thing to do was to go up. Now the nearest thing to him in that moment was my leg. And so he went up inside my pants. 
And I yelled like a little girl. My daughter wondered what was going on. And I did a dance that I'm sure I cannot repeat for you right now without the aid of a mouse. It did all turn out right. I got the mouse out, caught him, took him out. Everything, nobody died, okay. But I experienced the fight or flight, right? We've all done it. And it can sometimes make us feel like a little silly, right? Like why was I so afraid of that or this? But but in a very real sense, sometimes the fears are powerful. And it doesn't take but just a moment for us to feel that fear. A, a diagnosis, a conversation with a friend or a spouse or a child or a parent that goes the wrong way. A financial problem, a work problem, a problem with friends or church or anything else. And suddenly we are dealing with fear over the possibility of physical danger, emotional danger, spiritual danger. We've got that fear welling up within us. And sometimes we wonder, what is wrong with me? Because here I am and, and I say that I worship this all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, this, this incredible God who can do anything. And yet, I'm afraid of what's going on in my life. If I had the kind of faith that I should have in this God who's described in the Bible, I would be confident that he's going to take care of me. And here I am afraid. So what's wrong with me? And how can I really have the right kind of relationship? How can, how can God love me with all this fear that I've got in the face of the faith that I should have? Today wants to think about what the Bible has to say about that. And to do that, we're going to turn again to one of Paul's letters to Timothy. We've talked about the fact that Timothy is, uh, is being mentored by Paul in life and ministry and faith, all those things. And these letters are a sign of that. We may have had other letters, we don't know, but at least these two letters. And today, we're going to look in 2 Timothy, which is maybe the last letter that we have that Paul wrote. Okay, He may have written others, but the last one that we still have in front of us. And Paul writes this while he's awaiting trial, possibly facing execution. And, and I began to think about Paul's situation, and here's a man who knew what fear was like. I mean, if, if you ever want to be afraid, be in that position, right? Waiting on trial and possible execution. And he writes Timothy under those circumstances. Now, at the beginning of the letter, Paul lays out, okay, Timothy, you and I have been handed this great gift of faith. It has been passed down to us. And he talks about Timothy's mother and grandmother who taught him. And Timothy and Paul are both Jews, okay? They inherited this Jewish faith. And then they became Christians, and for Paul, that's entirely consistent. Same God, all the prophecies of the Old Testament point to Jesus. And so Jesus fulfills that faith so it makes sense for them to become Christians. So they have that in common. So Paul notes all that, and then he jumps in to talk about Timothy's ministry. And we find this recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So it's very vivid language. Paul says to fan into flame. Literally, that word means to rekindle. But it's not so much that Timothy's let this go out, but that Paul is saying, listen, there was a spark that was given to you. A spark of faith and ministry that was passed to you. And what I want you to do is to take that spark and allow it to become this great flame that's going to sort of go through and you're going to do these great things that are going to share the message of Jesus. And Paul says, you've got this because 
I laid hands on you. Now that language, that's not really familiar to us. We don't use that a lot. But in the ancient world, especially among Jews, this was a way of passing on authority, responsibility, position. And so we see in the Old Testament and then in the New, as people sort of step back from work, many times they will lay hands on someone else to continue that work. So they would lay hands on them, pray, and then the next person would go and do the work. So Paul is passing these things on. Authority, teaching, knowledge to Timothy, and now he's saying, go and take this gift that's been given you, not really by me, but by God through me, and do the work you've been called to do. And then verse 7, which is often quoted, much more famous, great passage, this is how it reads. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, that's translated in lots of different ways. It's not the easiest verse to translate. Sometimes we've been told that you have been given a spirit of fear. That's the way I memorized it. There's a couple words there in that first phrase that we need to take note of and that we need to understand because they really play into how we get this passage. The first really involves just one letter. It's the first letter of the word spirit. Now, in English, our tradition is if a word refers to God in some way, then we capitalize the first letter, right? So all the way through our Bibles, if we're talking about the one true God, then the G in God is capitalized. If we're talking about the false gods, it's not. So if the word Lord shows up and we're talking about God, L is capitalized. If we're talking about Jesus as the Son of God, the S in Son is capitalized. And if we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the S in Spirit is capitalized. But you see, it didn't work that way in ancient Greek. The whole letter would be written in all caps or in all lowercase. So that's an English tradition. So when translators take the Greek and translate it over into English, they have to decide where do you capitalize the G in God? Where do you capitalize the L in Lord? Where do you capitalize the S in Son or the S in Spirit? And here the question is, are we talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, or are we talking about the Spirit in each one of us. So my spirit, what makes me James Jones? What about me is me? That's my spirit. That would be lowercase. Now, I read to you as I usually do from the New International Version, which was re-released in 2011, so it's the, sort of the new New International, and it capitalizes S. But if you have a different translation, chances are it's in lowercase because that's the way many of the translations word this. So the question is, is this God's spirit, or is it sort of just what makes me, me? Now, I fully agree with the translation I'm reading from here that says the spirit, capital S, because, first of all, it refers to God's spirit later on in this passage in verse 14. It's clear it's God's spirit there. So I think we're probably still talking about the same thing. But more than that, if we're talking about the spirit that is James Jones, I can tell you that there is sometimes a spirit of fear, sometimes a spirit of timidity, and oftentimes not a spirit of what Paul says next, power, love, and self-discipline. But if we're talking about the spirit of God, it is always a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. 
So I think what Paul is saying to Timothy is, remember that God has taken His Spirit and He is at work in you. The way that God is present in your life is that the Spirit of God indwells you. It's the promise that we see in Acts 2.38 where Paul says, Peter says, Repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of sins in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit at work in you. So Paul's saying, listen, the Spirit of God that is at work in you is not a spirit of, could be translated fear, could be translated as here, timidity. But the truth is, it's really a stronger word than either of those. It's really something like cowardice. So the Spirit God gave you does not cause you to be a coward. But instead is a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Now, if this is God's spirit, that makes sense, right? Because God is all-powerful. God is love itself, and God creates in us the spirit of self-discipline, sort of what I talked about last week, that we deal with the things that could destroy us with the Spirit of God at work in us. He helps us overcome that. Now, if we are depending on ourselves for all that, we're going to fail a lot. And when we face danger, what we're going to have is fear and timidity and cowardice. But if we're depending on God's Spirit at work in our lives, then we can experience power and love and self-discipline. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, in your ministry, as you fan into flame this gift that has been given you, man, allow God's Spirit to be at work because you're going to face some fear. Okay, that's just the truth. But in the face of that fear, let God's Spirit be at work in you so you can overcome the fear and act in power and love and self-discipline. Let's finish up the passage. Verse 8. Paul says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, what Paul's saying is, listen, I'm in prison. And there are a lot of people who, who would say I should be embarrassed about that because in the ancient world, prison was a humiliating experience. The conditions were terrible. The treatment was awful. You had to depend on outside people to bring food and clothing for you. It was awful. People assumed you were guilty if you were in prison. And Paul is saying, listen, there's probably people out there who are saying, distance yourself from Paul. It's clear God has abandoned him. And the message, if we continue through chapter 1, as we did a couple weeks ago, is Paul saying, listen, I'm here because I've been faithful. I'm here because I'm doing what God has called me to do. And he was. And so he's saying to Timothy, remember me. Be faithful to me. Be faithful to Jesus who faced the same kind of trouble that I'm facing. He too was arrested and even killed. So don't be ashamed of what we're dealing with. Verse 9. He has saved us all and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death 
and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul is taking a step back and he's saying, listen, Jesus came to deal with the sin problem. He offered us grace that we couldn't earn, didn't deserve, never would. He did that to deal with a problem of sin that we've discussed. He did that so we would respond in faith and repentance and baptism. And as a result of that, God's Spirit is at work in you. You see, ultimately, this is all about God's love for us and His desire to offer us this grace and forgiveness that we can get nowhere else and will never deserve. You see, God loves you and He loves me in spite of our sin and certainly in spite of our fear. And so the message for me as I, as I read through this is this. God gives us the strength to act in the face of fear. And what I know is that, that fear comes on us that quickly. We don't have to think about, am I afraid, right? If we, if we are walking in the street and it looks like, hey, I'm going to get hit by a car, we don't sort of go through the thought of, am I afraid or not, right? We're afraid. And so we're going to have to act. We're going to have to act immediately. Fear is going to come into your life and into my life because things are going to happen that present danger. And the question is not, am I going to be afraid? The question is, how am I going to respond to that fear? Okay, so am I going to depend on my own strength, which maybe is pretty strong, pretty good, but is eventually going to fail me? Or am I going to depend on the strength of God that provides power and love and self-discipline. Now, a lot of people are going to beat themselves up because they experience this fear. I mean, they're going through something and it is threatening maybe their physical life, maybe relationships, maybe their kids or parents or whatever, and there's a lot of fear there and anxiety comes along with fear. And then that leads to man, being embarrassed over all that. And the truth is, we need to let that go. Because we're going to experience fear. The question is, how do we respond to that fear? And are we going to trust ourselves? Or are we going to trust an all-knowing, all-powerful God who is present in every situation and promises to be present in us through the Spirit He's given us? A Spirit who doesn't cause us to be timid, but fills us with power and love and self-discipline. So part of what I'm saying to you today is don't be ashamed and don't be discouraged because sometimes you're afraid. Sometimes there's reason to be afraid and sometimes those fears can get out of control within us. What's more important is not whether you're afraid but what do you do in the face of that fear? God loves you, God wants to care for you, and God wants to lead you even when you're afraid. And there is nothing wrong with the fear. The question is, are you going to trust this all-powerful God that offers you power and love and self-discipline in the middle of your fear? And why does He do that? Because God loves you in spite of your fear. Let's pray together.
God, we sometimes are afraid. We know it. We admit it. And we ask right now that that you would help us to know how to handle that fear, both emotionally and physically and spiritually. God, help us to put away the shame that can be associated with fear and instead trust your spirit, the spirit of power and love and self-discipline that is a gift from you. So God, help your Holy Spirit to make us holy. Help your Holy Spirit to make us strong. To take away our timidity or cowardness. And allow us to have your power and your love and your self-discipline. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.